Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of State of the Art. I'm your host, Andrew Herman. And if this is your first time here, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. We're talking about art technology and the intersection between them. But mostly, we want to talk about why you should care about this stuff. I've been on both sides of this coin as a startup founder, an engineer, a creative, and I'm just fascinated by the world where art and technology overlap. So I'll be talking to artists, collectors, CEOs, and founders, anybody who has any perspective on this world I want to talk to. Have you ever wondered what might be possible if artists are just given the time and space they need to come up with interesting projects and ideas and execute on them? And even if they had a little bit of help from, I don't know, technology industry experts to guide them as advisors and lend their expertise and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, it happens that our next guest is offering just such opportunities. So I have with me on this week's podcast, Joel Faree from the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, uh, probably better known as LACMA, and uh, here specifically to talk about their art and technology lab. Welcome, everybody, this week to another episode of State of the Art, and this week is is uh, a pretty cool episode. We have Joel Faree. Is it Faree? Am I pronouncing that Furry, correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Great. So Joel Faree with me uh, from the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, or LACMA, as it's probably better known, um, and, and they have this really cool program there with uh, sort of an art and technology lab, so... Um, so Joel, I'd love to hear, if you don't mind, just for the listeners, kind of a little bit of background on what exactly the lab is and, and sort of how it came to be. Sure. Well, um, the Art and Technology Lab, in a nutshell, um, it provides financial and in-kind support to artist projects that engage emerging technologies. So um, first and foremost, we give grants. Um, but then we also can um, leverage uh, the support of our technology partners to provide a great deal of um, uh, technical support or um, maybe it's hardware support, um, maybe it's expertise, um, all sorts of things that we can contribute to artist projects. Um, and we have a sort of mission of providing artist uh, projects that um, not only engage emerging technology, but that wouldn't be achievable without this kind of support. Um, mm. So um, the lab has been around for um, about five years. Um, we launched in late 2013. Um, <clears throat> and we have... Um, basically, what we were doing is restarting LACMA's um, original art and technology program, um, which ran from 1967 to 1971, um, and uh, it, it had a similar function within the museum. Um, it was a sort of matchmaker between um, technology companies and um, uh, emerging artists at the time. Um, back then, emerging artists were Andy Warhol, Claus Oldenburg, uh, John Chamberlain, to name a few of the original program's alumni. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and 
the collaborations that it put together were fairly straightforward. Um, artists were sort of hosted within the offices of the uh, technology companies. Um, so um, Claus Oldenburg was paired up with Walt Disney. Um, uh, let's hmm. see. Uh, Andy Warhol was paired up with Coles Communications, which was a communications company at the time. Um, uh, we should also mention uh, James Terrell um, and Robert Irwin were also in the program. They were <clears throat> paired up with a uh, perceptual psychologist from a uh, aerospace company called Garrett Corporation, and um, it led to a lot of interesting uh, uh, collaborations with those two artists. Um, <clears throat> and perceptual so psychologist, is that what you said? Perceptual. Very, very cool. Yeah, so <clears throat> James Terrell had been studying um, uh, perception or perceptual psychology um, uh, uh, in, in college, and so he had a great interest in this, and um, so Lackman's original program was able to uh, pair him up with um, a, a psychologist by the name of uh, Dr. Ed Wartz, who was studying um, snow blindness, that parent that um, that pilots were experiencing when they would fly through thick clouds and they would lose sight of the horizon, hmm. um, and they would experience this uh, great uh, disorientation. Um, sometimes um, uh, it could result in hallucinations, um, all sorts of things. And um, while the psychologist was interested in trying to remedy these facts or, or sorry, remedy these uh, uh, symptoms, Terrell was interested in kind of going in the opposite direction, um, you know, really kind of seeing, um, you know, how far you could really push um, this, these disorienting qualities. <laughs> so you, you see a lot of that in um, his his. Uh, Gonsfeld works and um, his perceptual cell works as well. Man, it's so interesting. The you know the whenever we hear about um, sort of art and technology today, I think our head immediately goes to sort of whatever the most modern uh, computer technologies are. Um, and it's so interesting to think about what what a museum and what a what a lab between art and technology would have meant in the in the late sixties and early seventies. It's a little different, huh? Yeah, it was a whole different ballgame compared to, you know, I think today we talk a lot about um, artificial intelligence or, you know, working with bots um, or, you know, VR or AR um, and really computer screens, right? I mean, I guess, you, you know, the computer screen wasn't anywhere close to being as ubiquitous as it, as it is today. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess it, it, it's gone through a lot of changes. Um, so, and, and we also, I think in our current program, we don't sort of limit ourselves to things that are, or, you know, to the digital realm. I think, I, th I think technology can, you know, there's a lot of technology outside of the digital realm as well. So yeah. it's not to say that we don't just, you know, that we, that we don't work within that. We also, you know, work with a lot of digital technology as well, sure. but. Um, you know, I think you shouldn't kind of uh, uh, keep your, you know, just kind of 
keep yourself within that for yeah. you know, no reason. Yeah, and there's a certain sense of, um, I think, in the art world that, you know, at this point, a lot of that stuff is kind of low-hanging fruit that we can we can do some more interesting stuff. But so what what are some of the interesting emerging technologies that you guys are really focusing on? Um, one that I think that has been really interesting is, is artificial intelligence. Um, we did a project uh, with John Gerard um, a little over a year ago now. <clears throat> that um, it used Google's TensorFlow software. Sure. And um, John was interested in um, coming up with what he called a choreographic generator. Um, so basically he wanted to harness artificial intelligence um, or I guess to be more uh, specific, machine learning to come up with a way to um, generate choreography for a what he found to be this this uh, video game character who was from a first person uh, uh, or not first from a um, military video game mm. um, and so initially he set out to just isolate this video game character and kind of create sort of a, a ballet style choreography for it to perform, you know, removing it from this militaristic environment and kind of repurposing it in a way, hacking it. Um, what was cool was that, you know, this character was wearing uh, 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 a ghillie suit or, you know, a, a sort of leaf, a covering of leaves, sure. um, a, a style camouflage. And this was this leaf-covered figure actually was a motif that John had um, identified way before it was used in uh, the military. Um, you would see um, in the stained glass windows of old cathedrals in Europe, you'd see this leaf-covered face or this leaf-covered figure that was this sort of nature uh, uh, trope that kind of would appear from time to time. Um, and so that that caught John's attention, and he thought, well, what if I take this character, I isolate it from the video game, and then I use artificial intelligence to create a whole new kind of choreography choreography for it to perform. And so he ended up actually creating a, a video game character from scratch because the one that he was going to isolate wasn't good enough. So he modeled one. Um, and then he worked with motion capture software to um, generate an entire library of movements and gestures. So he had a ballet dancer come in and perform these movements, which were captured and then fed into um, uh, uh, the machine and was um, the machine learned these movements and then started coming up with new ones and these movements were executed by um, by this leaf covered figure that the artist had modeled that you know normally you see this figure in a in a military video game so right it was exciting and you know this was an experiment I, I really want to underline that this was an artist experiment that we're not really in the business of creating new major works as much as introducing artists to um, new new tools, yeah, new ways of broadening their practice. I'm really curious 
So, you know, I mean, obviously on this program, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence and some of the implications. And um, one of the things that I think is so interesting about something like the project that you're just talking about is, um, you know, it, it skates the line and artists have always been great experimenters as have technologists, but it also sort of brings up questions around responsibility of, uh, uh, you know, of an institution to protect sort of the creative process and stuff. And when you're talking about something as interesting as automating a choreography, um, <clears throat> what has what has the general reaction been from sort of both artists and patrons about that type of work, about sort of skating close to the the line of, you know, is, is technology taking over the artwork? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think you have to go back a, one step and look at what is the artist's intent. Hmm. Um, and I think for, for John, he really wanted to, you know, see what would happen. Um, and, we really work hard to try and create an environment where artists kind of feel safe, um, where they're not sort of, you know, expected to just produce. Um, and you know, those questions though still come around. Um, you know, it's, it is a tricky sort of thing. Um, you know, is this the machine that's really coming up with the work or is it the artist? But I think if the artist intends it, um, then, you know, I, I think you could say that it's perhaps it's more conceptual that way, but then it's you could frame it as a conceptual artwork. Um, John also, he gave a, a research lecture at the end of his project and he talked about, you know, what it was like to work with AI. He hadn't worked with it before. He hadn't worked with machine learning before. Um, he is very technologically savvy, though. He does do a lot with uh, simulations. Hmm. So it wasn't entirely new ground. But as far as like working with machine learning, it was. Um, and But what he pointed out was, you know, these skills um, – are not being taught in art schools, um, in MFA programs. There are a few that, you know, that do, um, you know, having a sort of introductory course. Um, but he really stressed that artists need to figure out a way to use these new tools and that, uh, art schools need to really make more of an effort to incorporate, uh, new technologies into that sort of artist toolkit, hmm. um, if you will, because um, as he pointed out, you know, it's it's uh, if if artists don't start adapting more to the changing landscape, they will be stuck in this position of just creating luxury goods. Yeah, um, you know, as it as you know, as opposed to. Uh, works, artworks that speak to contemporary um, themes, um, you know, in a contemporary way. And as we see, just even in the past 10 years, um, technology has really has drastically changed our landscape. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's it's nice to hear that um, there's organizations out there sort of advocating for um, the use of technology in artwork and even just sort of like from a matter of literacy, helping, helping artists to sort of understand the landscape. But I'm also curious 
on sort of in the other direction, I mean, you guys have really an A-list resume of businesses that you've worked with and that um, sit on your board. I mean, the likes of Google, Hyundai, SpaceX. Um, what do you think, you know, kind of coming from the other direction, what do you think these companies are interested in sort of in their relationship and what are their curiosities uh, with this cross-pollination between art and technology? Yeah, um, I would say one is they see that, um, you know, they're, I think for technology companies, it's all about innovation, right? And with artists, it's not so much innovation as um, experimentation and, and creation, but they, mm. they have similar approaches, um, you know, to uh, reaching uh, their goals. Um, and so by kind of drawing a parallel between, you know, um, what an engineer does and what an artist does, um, you can kind of, you can create a pretty interesting dialogue between the two. Um, and I think the companies that we work with, um, you know, they give, they supply us with, uh, advisors who have a very high level of expertise and knowledge, um, of their respective technologies. And, for them, it's a, they're able to use their knowledge, use their expertise in a way that they maybe don't get to every day when they're at their at their day job. Mm. Um, you know, they get to apply um, their skill set in an, an entirely new way, um, and they're able to contribute. Um, you know, they're able to bring things that uh, you know that very few artists would actually have access to. Um, mm. And so, you know, they're, they're, they play a pivotal role in these projects. Um, and I, and I do believe that they feel that. Um, and I think it's also a way for companies to <clears throat> sort of broaden their outlook on, you know, what they're developing. Um, yeah, they're, you know, the, there is that idea of intellectual property has, that has come up from time to time, but we actually haven't had any issues with that. I mean, it's just mm. been something that we've were, you know, we're, we're watchful of, and we always want to keep that in the back of our minds. Um, but really, I think both um, the artists and the advisors from our technology partners have both really. Um, shown good faith and you know really there's a lot of trust that develops between the artists and the uh, technology advisors and so we don't have to get too litigious with it um, which is great um, you know we're really I think out the gate you really see a, a genuine conversation yeah. that both sides are really getting a lot out of that's really cool to hear that it's <laughs> I mean that the way that you describe it really kind of personalizes it for me because I know you know my exposure just in working sort of in the Silicon Valley world and um in the startup world it's kind of funny because you always see that like the, there's always this sort of mutual uh respect and sort of um mystique and like m misunderstanding between um, engineers and designers in these companies and engineers are always so sort of fascinated and interested with how 
um, the creative people on their teams can sort of just manifest these crazy ideas. And they're like, yeah, and like now I just want to make it. And sort of in the other direction, the, the designers are always the ones who have all these crazy ideas. And they're like, well, but I don't, I don't know how to make anything work. Like you guys have to actually do the work. So uh, there's always sort of that interesting mutual respect. So it's, it, it sounds sort of like a macrocosm of that almost. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there is that, um, you know, and, and there, there is a great deal of exchange that takes place. Um, and I think what we do um, with the current iteration of the lab is we kind of, you know, help facilitate that process, that exchange between the two parties. Yeah. Um, I think back in the late 60s and early 70s with our original program, that exchange was not as easy um, because there was a more of a a gap, I think, between the artists and the engineers they were working with. Um, and what we were thinking when we relaunched the lab was that that you know it's good for the for the museum to step in and, and mediate a little bit hmm. um, to make sure that both sides have more empathy or understanding of where the other is coming from. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's a good, good opportunity for things to get lost in translation for sure. When you're going between sort of the Uber creative mindset and the Uber technical mindset. But uh, I'm curious, I mean, it is, it's, it's a huge responsibility that you guys have, um, you know, for, for a lot of artists, this is kind of a dream position to be in, to have uh, someone like LACMA sort of stewarding the their access to, you know, not just money to keep going, but also sort of this technical expertise and, and the people that can help them realize some of their creative vision. How do you guys handle the responsibility of choosing who receives this kind of sponsorship? Um, uh, as far as pairing up a company with an artist you mean yeah and just the general selection of what what artists you'd like to work with so basically um we have a a call for proposals every december um and that um runs typically the the call is launched mid-december and it usually ends at the end of february and then um the proposals are reviewed internally by LACMA staff, educators, curators, um, and they're reviewed into a, a short list that can be anywhere from 20 to um, like 10 proposals. And then that short list, um, we meet with our director and um, he makes the final decision. Um, so... It, it is a long process. I think this year we received 430 proposals. Hmm. So, um, you know, it, it does take a while. And then as far as like having the artists work with figuring out who's going to work with who, we let that happen organically. Um, and that process really begins um with what we call the artist advisor meeting. And it's, we invite the artists out to LACMA, out to LA, um, for uh, uh, a full day of meetings with our technology advisors. Um, and basically it's like speed dating. They um, have about 15 or 20 minutes with each advisor um, to talk with them about their project, 
the advisor can talk about the work that they do and their expertise and see if there's a fit. So each artist has access to every advisor on our advisory board. Um, So you're not just so, so, and that's, I think a difference also from the original program. Um, It's great for the artists too, because they have access to the full gamut. They're not constrained by just working with one advisor. Um, It also allows a rapport to develop more naturally. Um, And it's not to say that, you know, we don't make introductions. We also do a lot of that as well. Um, and, but, you know, it's also good because we can leverage the, not just our advisors, but our advisors also are very generous with, um, introducing the artists to their own network, um, of, you know, maybe fellow engineers or designers that they're working with. Hey everybody. I'd like to pause the episode here for just one second. First and foremost, to give you guys our thanks. We're so appreciative that you guys like what we do and are listening. Uh, We really couldn't do it without you. We love making this podcast, but obviously you have to be there for us to make it. If you're interested in helping us out a little bit more, if you want to go the extra mile, we would appreciate it so much. And there's two ways that you can help. The first, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. This seems like a little thing. I know everybody's always asking you to do it, but it helps us so much. And more than anything else, it helps people like you find us. So if you find us interesting, other people hopefully do too. The second thing that you can do is let us know what you find interesting. Tell us what you want to hear. Please just reach out to us. Say anything to us. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at State of the Art. All right. Thanks so much. And back to the podcast. You know, as a museum and and sort of as the organization stewarding all this, you guys have a, a responsibility to kind of, um, you know, guide the process and, and help see um, what you guys want to see out of the project. So what, you know, what are you kind of hoping that the artists accomplish through these partnerships? We, um, well, one, I should say that, we don't look for exhibitions. Um, you know, we're not in the business of, of putting together an exhibition. Um, what we are looking for is sort of a collaborative or collaboration. Um, and, uh, I think what we're looking for, uh, in the end is documentation of that collaboration. Um, whether it be, um, video, uh, essays, um, data sets that come out of it. Um, each project really has its, its own specific documentation. Mm. Um, you know, it usually it's a combination of, of a few forms of documentation. It could be maybe photo and video, um, some, some essays, um, sometimes the artist will make like a zine or something, uh, that will that will document the research. Um, we also have public programs that come out of the process that um, shares this sort of uh, collaboration. Sometimes we'll invite the um, the artist and the engineer that they worked with, uh, or engineers that they worked with, to um, you know talk about their experience, to talk about the project. Um, you know, it can. It, it takes a number of forms. Um, 
our public programs have been performances, they've been artist lectures, they've been panels, um, they've taken place online, they've taken place um, on the streets of LA. We had one that resulted in a uh, augmented reality tour of LA. Um, so it's it 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 really varies. Yeah, that's cool. I mean. Coming from, uh, you know, I, I probably come more from the, the technical side of of the art and technology world. And so it's really interesting to see. I mean, it, it sounds like this really is um, a program f- around uh, really pure experimentation and just sort of seeing what comes out of these relationships. It's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty thrilled. So who who are some of the, the artists or some of the projects that you're most interested in right now? Um, well, we are just about to launch, um, our fifth year of artist projects. Um, and so we're working with, um, four new recipients, um, Tahir Hempel, who is going to be, um, working with neural networks. Um, and his project's called Implications of a Rap Neural Network. Um, he has a database that he's already developed. Um, of approximately 200,000 hip hop songs that span from like 19, the late 1970s to the present. And basically, um, he's interested in studying or leveraging these neural networks um, and this database to come up with a way of well, well, how, how is culture produced um, in this age of artificial intelligence? And so, um, this rap neural network that he that he is proposing um, is actually we're going to see if a neural network can can rap. <laughs> um, and I think you know it's not just to see you know what how how uh, eloquently it raps, but also you know what are some of the interesting contradictions that could come out of that. Mm. Um, Jin Liu is going to be working with um, genetic engineering um, and labor activism um, in, in a project that she calls Pink Slime Caesar Shift. And um, she is, has been working already with cow cells and um, injecting cow cells with um, uh, DNA that has been coded with uh, uh, labor activism texts. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you look at a strand of DNA, usually what you see is a, a, a series of instructions for replication. Um, but you can also um, manipulate these, these instructions. And so instead of having instructions, you could actually just put text there. Um, and so she has been working with... Um, uh, manipulating this DNA so that these texts actually have labor activism, t- uh, or sorry, that these DNA strands have labor activism texts. Um, she's she visited China a few years ago and um, worked with a number of uh, labor organizers there um, that worked specifically in the meat packing industry, and so. Um, she is sort of envisioning what a possible or a speculative future could be um, where labor activists, you know, work with um, biotechnology uh, to, um, 
you know, uh, 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 to share these texts and distribute these texts. Hmm. So it has a science fiction uh, quality to it. That's quite nice. Yeah, it almost rings uh, of the is it the jungle the oh uh, Sinclair yeah was it Sinclair Lewis or yes yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 very reminiscent of that huh Yeah definitely um, and then um, another grant recipient Sarah Rara um, she has been working in. Caltech's Dickinson lab um, with with fruit flies actually um, studying how um, they navigate um, mm. uh, the world around them and um, sort of manipulating that with uh, using video screens and ultimately um, looking at how we as human beings um, navigate the world using video screens um and you know increasingly we're we're you know looking at screens every day we are right now um and you know um i think you know when you're driving right now um often if you're in reverse a lot of cars have this video screen in the back and you know you kind of see these these more and more screens kind of creeping up in our day-to-day lives um and, and Sarah is interested in looking at, you know, how this is going to affect us as humans in the long run. So hmm. um, it'll be interested, interesting to see what comes out of that. And then finally, Diana Thader um, has uh, proposed to develop a new body of work that uh, examines bio, um, bio-inspired or biomimetic Robots. Mm, okay. um, she's working with the robotics lab um, at Jet Propulsion Laboratories, and um, looking at how we, as humans, try to create machines that uh, imitate animals. So, in the past, I think Diana has quite eloquently shown you know, how we as humans look at animals as the other. And I think with this, she's taking it one step further and saying, you know, how we as humans look at animals by creating machines that look at animals or that imitate animals. So. Wow. It's, I mean, they really are running the gamut. I mean, it's, you mentioned earlier that it's not, you guys aren't just stopping at sort of the newest cool digital technologies. I mean, you're really, all over the map from biohacking to um, to sort of looking at interface elements and stuff like that. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a really good group of artists and it's a really, really fascinating um, uh, collection of artistic experiments that we have this year. I think everyone at LACM is really excited to see how these projects go. So what do you guys think, you know, sort of, looking into the crystal ball and looking into the future, what do you see for specifically for museums? I mean, how should museums really be looking at the role of technology in the art world as this really continues to evolve? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you know, technology is a moving target. Um, and the rate at which it moves is so fast that, you know, and, and a museum 
you know, we're an institution, right? So it takes, you know, we have processes and, and, and protocols that we have to follow um, that, you know, makes sense and they're there for reasons. But, you know, I think it's, it's challenging for us to keep up with the pace of technology. Um, the lab is a great sort of way for us to um, create a, an environment where we can take risks. Um, you know, it's, it's because we're not, you know, creating exhibitions, because we don't have these big expectations, um, you know, we dream big, but we're not, you know, if, if, some, if a project fails, it's not the end of the world for us. It, it, we do want it to fail spectacularly, you know, if <laughs> right, at all right, possible. Right. But, um, you know, and, and so I, I do think that it's good that we have, you know, this way of, of, of trying out new things um, and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't work or, you know, what could work. Um, and, you know, I, it's, it's tough. It's tough to say, you know, how museums are going to continue to respond. Um, you know, there's, um, we've, we've, we had a really great VR exhibition here, um, Carne Iarena, um, that, uh, just came down and, you know, that was wonderful. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think, these kinds of things are, are, are really challenging though for us. Um, and how do you continue to move forward with this? Um, you know, there's, there's no easy answer. Yeah. There's just, there's just more tough questions. And <laughs> I think, you know, the lab model, we're small, but we're able to move fast, um, and, and take on these new things. And so, you know, I think it would be great to see other museums, you know, uh, emulating this kind of approach. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, there's we we talk on the program about the college stoner questions, right? The 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 questions that the college kids sit on the front porch and smoke a joint and start talking (laughs) about, you know, what is the meaning of art and what how do you define art and all this stuff? And and, uh, you know, they're fun conversations to have, but um Ultimately, they're not always healthy questions for the art world or or can be kind of prohibitive to making real progress. And, you know, I think from my humble perspective, art, art, the creative mentality, the artistic mentality and sort of the technologist mentality have a lot in common in terms of when it gets down to it. They just have interesting ideas that they want to pursue. Right. Um, And, you know, for while the art world has to care more about. Uh, how the money flows and sort of the reputation component and the sanctity of the art uh, and stuff like that. Oftentimes the people who are actually doing the creation of that stuff care much less about sort of these uh, monolithic ideas and more about just like, I don't really care. I just want to get out there and make something cool. So, you know, what, what a gift that you guys are offering that, um, it is, you know, it is practically speaking for an artist difficult to make a living and stuff like that. And unfortunately, sometimes it does come down to, well, we just don't have the resources to do some of these interesting ideas. So, um, you know, what an incredible gift that, that LACMA is giving to just encouraging that spirit of exploration and experimentation. I, I think it's an awesome thing that you guys are doing. 
Thanks. Yeah, it's it, it, we do. I, that you, you mentioned, you know, how it's hard for artists to have time to just do this. And I think that's a great point, because um, one thing that we always point out when I'm, you know, talking with artists that are, you know, interested in applying to the program or what have you, I always say, you know, make sure that you budget for your time, make sure that you include artist fees in there because we don't want you having to work, you know, two jobs to make ends meet just right. so that you can, you know, and, you know, in, in the three or four hours of free time that you have, you know, to, to create an interesting, you know, project, yeah. um, you know, and so what we hope that we're doing with this is really not just creating opportunities for artists to engage with technology, but also creating that space, you know, as a, as a sense of their schedule. Um, you know, maybe they can take off a couple of months now because they're not so fiscally constrained. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like there's almost a, a uh, educational component to it too, where, you know, I, I always say that artists just fundamentally look at money differently than, than most of the rest of the world. Um, you know, it's something that, it's not always easy. To, sometimes artists do have to hear, you know, value your time. Tell us, you know, add add some numbers to the, to that number that you gave me because I can tell you just from looking at that number on paper, you're not going to have the time if this is the amount of money we give you. So that's cool to hear that you guys are really advocates and and sit sit sort of on the side of the artist, encouraging them to make sure that they have the resources that they need. That's such, like I said, just such a rare gift in the art world. So kudos for you guys thank you so um joel how can how can listeners find out a little bit more about these artists and the projects that they're working on um so we have um one i mean the most direct way is to email us and that's just lab at lacma.org um but then you can also go to our website which is lacma.org slash lab um we are going to be um coming out with a new website um, in the next few months. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we'll have a lot more documentation of some of our previous projects. Um, it will include, you know, everything from lecture transcripts to um, videos, short documentaries, um, photo documentation, code, um, as well as um, the original proposals um, with, you know, with the artist permission, we are able to publish all of this, um, so that interest, you know, prospective applicants can look at some of the earlier proposals that came in and that were accepted. Great. Well, thanks so much, Joel. This has been, uh, such such a pleasure to talk to you, Lacma. Like I said, it's just just such a gift to artists in the art world, and and it's great to see uh, the proactivity coming out of what you're doing. But before I let you go, we always do some rapid fire questions to wrap up the interviews, just to learn a little bit more about you and and decompress a little bit, have a little bit of fun. So, do you have a couple more minutes for some rapid fire questions? Oh sure. Great. So the idea is just respond with whatever first comes to your mind and and we'll go from there, all right? Okay. All right. So what was the last movie that you watched? Oh man. Um <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Blade Runner, the the new Blade Runner. Ah, nice. I just recently saw that on HBO too. That's it, it was uh well done. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah. 
So, so okay. So next question. This is a fun one. One of my favorites. If animals could talk, who would be the biggest jerk? Um. Hmm. <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a tough one. There's a lot um, of jerks in the animal world. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> oh wait. I'm trying to think of like some like invasive species, you know. <laughs> um, I feel like they, you know, like yeah, like the they, like some that the, would be like a really jerky, you know. But they're <laughs> they're all plants, so I'm like, do plants talk or just just mammals? <laughs> we'll give you plants if you want to go invasive plants. Yeah, I think if we're gonna go into plants, and I would say the kudzu vine. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm originally from i lived in the midwest and the east coast before moving to la and you go out into the countryside there and you'll see it just taking over whole forests it's it's nasty so <laughs> real, real jerk the kudzu vine totally just, just moving in where it's not wanted <laughs> bad news all right so uh this is a very hot topic on the internet recently is a hot dog by definition a sandwich Oh man, I would say no. <laughs> no? I would say it's not a sandwich. I would say it's just a hot dog. <laughs> I think a hot dog is entirely it's autonomous as <laughs> far as like food goes. Is, is this um, be because it deserves such high respect that it gets its own category or because it can't achieve the status of real food? I think it's probably somewhere in between those two. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Very political answer. <laughs> and uh, last but certainly not least, do you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess this kind of counts as one. Um, there's – I had a professor in school um, – who had a theory that um, that the the appearance of UFOs um, in in the, the American Southwest was linked to the development of nuclear um, uh, technology or to yeah. nuclear testing, and yeah. and that it was because the nuclear tests that we were doing in the desert were so strong and significant are so powerful that the energy being released transcended multiple dimensions and could have uh, uh, this, this energy entered dimensions that were uh, inhabited by other life forms that um, became uh -huh. alarmed at what we were doing and wanted to uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, check in check and out. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I see. I thought you were going to go with like, you know, they're not actually aliens. These are just nuclear experiments. And I was like, well, that actually seems fairly reasonable and likely. And then opening up dimensions to alien planets. I like this one. I'm going to have to investigate this further. The Internet, I'm sure, has more information on this. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, Joel, thank you for being a good sport. This really um, has been an awesome interview. I uh, I, I really think the listeners are going to enjoy this. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners are artists themselves. And so uh, these types of programs are just um, 
real real hidden gems. So I'm so grateful that you spent the time with us today to talk a little bit about what LACMA is doing and where you see the future of art and technology going. Yeah, no, thank you, Andrew. It's my pleasure. All right. You have a great day. Thanks, you too. Cheers. Bye-bye. As always, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week. What a cool program that LACMA has going on. I mean, I said it during the interview, but but what a gift to be able to give to artists, to just give them the time and space that they need to work on their interesting ideas, and especially under the, the guidance and help of these A-list technology advisors. So um, please, listeners, check them out. Uh, check the, check LACMA's website. Um, get into the artist. There's some awesome, awesome, awesome projects going on. And... Um, as you heard, if you even are interested in seeking such sponsorship, sponsorship, they have open uh, applications, so please check out their website. Um, in the meantime, if you like this episode or if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, we would be so grateful if you could leave a rating and a review for us. Uh, it really helps us grow. It helps us find listeners um, and hopefully listeners like you that enjoy what we're doing will find us um, and we'll continue to be one big happy art and technology family. So thank you guys. Uh, this has been State of the Art and I am your host, Andrew Herman. Thank you so much.